This is the Fire Life. Medic 11. We still have quite a bit of fire in the water. The podcast that takes you inside Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Offside. And introduces you to the brave men and women keeping our community safe. When the tone drops, we're all family and we all take care of each other. Uh, right now we have an outside fire. No, we got this guy that is here. Roger, I copy. On this episode of the Fire Life. So you'll want to be a firefighter. Fire medic Dwight Kilpack may be able to help you. So basically what I do is I coach firefighters to their interview process. I do it all online. Um, the business is called Firefighter Interview Coach. And Chief Troy Patterson has some tips on how to interview for the fire service. I think they come in with an idea of what we want to hear, and I think that misses the point. What we're really looking for is we want to get to know you as an individual. We're looking for the unique story and, and the buy-in. This is the Fire Life. Welcome to the Fire Life, a podcast by Adams County Fire Rescue. I'm your host, or one of the hosts, Julie Brownman. I'm the PIO here at ACFR. And this is a unique episode because so many people want to know about, well, how do you get hired to be a firefighter? And it's probably changed along the way. So we have two guests today that are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum and have different advice for people on how, if you want to get hired. First is Chief Troy Patterson. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And fire medic Dwight Kilpack, who our listeners, regular listeners will remember that uh, you uh, co-host this with me sometimes. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I'm good. How are Thanks you? Thanks for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about, first, let's talk about you have a new business going on about specifically getting hired in the fire service. So let's tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, so basically what I do is I coach firefighters to their interview process. I do it all online. Um, the business is called firefighter interview coach. Um, and we literally just sit down for an hour and go over practice interview questions and, um, just talk a little bit about that. The firefighter, the firefighter hiring process is very unique. It's not like a normal job interview, like in the corporate world. And so I kind of helped them work through that process because it was something I really struggled with when I was first trying to get hired. Chief Patterson, is there a need for this kind of coaching so that people know and being prepared when they're going into these interviews? Absolutely. I think um, people that are forward thinking and are, and are um, pursuing this career, um, it's highly competitive. And so they should be looking for advantages and resources to help them develop those skills. Um, interviewing at a firefighter level and then walking into a room um, full of chiefs wearing white shirts um, seems to have a certain effect on people. And I think any exposure and practice they can get um, will benefit them. Absolutely. That can be very nerve wracking. I know, you know, from personal experience, you might have all the skills, all the skills or talents in the world, but you go into that interview and it, it can just be, um, be, like I said, really nerve wracking. So my job is to, uh, you know, kind of get them past that hurdle and, um, help them really present themselves in a good manner. I usually don't give people answers to questions. It's more helping them to kind of develop their own stories and their ideas. And so, um, I always tell people my mission is to help good people get hired in the fire service. And, and I, I say that because I really feel like moving forward as a industry, the best way we're going to do that. And the best way we get, we put our good foot forward is by hiring the right people. And so my mission is to help those people get jobs. We're really going to get into it about what you're looking for and advice for people. But you interviewed with Chief Patterson, right? I did Can you talk about what that experience. So was like? well, it, it goes even further. It goes even <laughs> further than that. But um, when I was initially um, kind of getting into the fire service, uh, Chief Patterson was part of our um, unaffiliated fire academy. 
I've known Chief Patterson, you know, from the, the beginning of my journey. So there's two different types of questions that people go through. There's just kind of your standard oral board questions and your uh, and then after that, you've got situational questions. And so he asked me a situational question um, and I gave him my answer and I thought it was a good answer. Um, the question was, uh, what do you basically what are you going to do if a crew member has been eating your cereal <laughs> and they won't stop eating your cereal? And I said, you know, I said, it, look, it's. It's cereal. I'll, if I have to bring in an extra box of cereal every day, it's not a big deal. And uh, finished up my answer, and I looked right at him, and Chief said, Dwight, I've known you for quite a while. I don't think you'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, talk about rattling you in an interview. I, I didn't know what to say, and I just kind of froze, but it, it just made me laugh. And you remember, uh, I remember when I said, let's do this podcast, or can you do this? You have a story about Dwight. So I do. Um, at the station, it was a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, I believe, and um, it was probably nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, and I'm going outside to throw the trash away, and there's a car still left in the parking lot, and I'm like, what is going on? Somebody left their car here. Maybe they caught a ride or whatever, and I went over, and Dwight was in the car, and I said, well, what, are, what are you doing? And he said, well, I think it's a long drive home, or it's a ways, and I, I thought I'd just spend the night here. I was living in Fort Collins at the time. And, and I told them, well, we can't have people sleeping in their car here at the station. That's not tolerable. We, we can't do that. But what we can do is we can have you come stay in the station with us. Um, you have to act like a crew member, um, be up at 6, do your share of the cleaning. You can use the kitchen, and you'll be good to go. And I think from that point forward, you spent the weekends. I, I talked to the other two crews and said, hey, look, um, this guy's got to travel. Um, we're just going to let him stay here. we got a spare bedroom, and he's just going to stay. And I think that's actually when you really kind of joined the department. Yeah, initially. It, that was that was a cool experience. You know, I had no experience in the fire service, and I remember that very well. And, uh, yeah, they, they gave me a spare bedroom upstairs. I brought my sleeping bag inside. It was much better than the bed of my truck. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that really stuck with me. So, I do have a question. Did, did your classmates ever realize that you were actually staying at the station? Uh, I think they did because I think there was a one time when you actually let one other member do it as well. But um, I, I can't remember. It's been probably 11 years since we've we've done that. But uh, yeah, it seems like such a long time ago now that I say that out loud. Um, so, yeah, I can't even remember for sure, to be perfectly honest with you, Chief. So you got a chance to know Dwight right before mm -hmm. the official interview. But when somebody just walks in and you have a limited amount of time with them and you can ask your questions, but. How many times do you, what are you looking for and how many times is that enough time to get a sense of who a person is? I think they come in with an idea of what we want to hear and, and so they want to give you that. They want to satisfy what it is you're looking for and I think that misses the point. I think what we're really looking for is we want to get to know you as an individual. You know, Once you started making it through a lot of the um, testing process and you make it through the interviews you've already been vetted to a point and um, everybody's going to give the standard answer and what is the answer that will actually catch someone's attention and really want them to take an interest in what you're saying um, as opposed to um, just the standard hey you know I want to be a role model I want to um, whatever the case may be. Hardworking. Yes, you know, the, the canned answer. We're looking for the unique story and, and the buy-in. And um, I think that's the people that grab your attention and then you want to hear more, kind of make you sit up in your chair. You go, oh, okay, they're actually going to interact with us here. 
Have your questions changed along the way? Because they, you, you they want have. that. Um, believe it or not, when I got hired, um, one of the silly questions was, well, how do you know when the pasta's done? Mm. And, you know, old <laughs> Italian fire department. Mainly, My grandma used to throw it against the wall. That was that the what, answer yeah. right there. Exactly. <laughs> that's 100% the answer. And so that's actually how it was back in the day. But, um, you know, the educational requirements have changed on the experiences. And then technology has changed it drastically. And, and what's out there and what's available. And so you can tell the people that come in that have done their homework, they know something about the organization they're talking to, or do they just speaking in general terms? And it really does separate them um, from the overall population that's testing because they've spent the time to speak to someone like Dwight. They've spent the time to do research, which they can gather online. Um, and then if they went the extra step and actually visited the fire station, they really can come in with some information that's not necessarily just out there for public consumption. They can kind of get behind the curtain, so to speak, and really understand what's going on in an organization. That shows effort on their part. Yeah, we allow you know we allow people to come in and do ride-alongs. They can come do station visits and chat with the crew, and you can really tell the people who who have sat down and talked with people and really know the department versus the people that came in and they're you know regurgitating the mission statement or the values on the website or the statistics that they've read, and they can't really bring that personal touch. If a candidate can come in and say, "Hey, I know you do this program and this program, and those are things that I'm really interested in, and this is what I've done in my personal." life to you know to get better at those things and i think i'd be a good fit with your department because of that that really stands out versus the person who just comes in and says you know i know you ran ten thousand calls last year and and 75 percent of those were medical and and i've i've done a little bit of medical so i think i'd be a good fit anybody can say those things and that's that's really where people stand out what a lot of people don't realize too is uh, when they're coming in to do a firefighter interview for the first time, they're so structured compared to a, a corporate interview. In a corporate, inter in a corporate interview, you, can, you and I can just have a conversation. And if you find something interesting about what I say, you can ask me more about it. And if you, know, you want to know more or ask a question, you can do that too. These interviews are structured. You usually get five to ten questions. They're the exact same questions that everybody else gets. Um, there's no variation. They can repeat the question to you, but they can't clarify it. And so you're left to give almost a speech um, rather than a conversation. Um, and so, and then at the end of that question, the panel just scores you one to ten. And so it, it really opens up the opportunity for a lot of people to get a very similar score because they come in with what they think, like Chief said, is the right answer. Um, what the people who score well on can bring in their personal experience, their stories, um, you know, stuff from their resume that really supports those ideas that they're trying to convey. And that kind of shows that you've been there, you've done it, and, and you've, you've got the t-shirt, if you will. Um, it, and it also really proves to the panel that you're not all talk. I always tell people um, when, when they're asked their strengths and their weaknesses, I always hear, oh, I'm so hardworking, or um, I'm very dedicated. If you tell me you're very hardworking and very dedicated, I'm going to roll my eyes because I know nobody's more hardworking than a coworker of mine called named Rob Hamlin. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to prove it to me. You have to tell me that I worked three jobs. I got straight A's in school. I did all these things. I've been to, you know, uh, boot camp and, and special forces school. And I, you know, graduated at the top of my class by telling me these stories. You're proving your answer to me, but anybody can walk in the door and tell me that they're very hardworking and dedicated. And I'm not going to believe you unless you can support it with facts. Does that almost subtract from, I see you kind of shaking your head, does that almost subtract from a score when you, do you kind of roll your eyes when you hear the same 
thing. <clears throat> Absolutely. I at one point we had a civil service, and one of the ladies that was serving on there um, sat through a promotional interview, and on one of the breaks she asked me, she said, uh, "I get the sense that you don't believe them," and I said, "I don't." <laughs> and, and she said, "Why not?" And I said, "If you can't validate your answer with an example." A real life example that demonstrates to me that what you're saying is true you're just telling me what you think I want to hear you're not actually giving me um, we're not truly interacting you're, you're telling me what you think I want to hear and so I'm not buying it unless you can give me a, an example that reinforces what you're saying if you can give me that example then I'm all in and now you as again you've got my attention and now I want to hear more do those questions change from every year of what you're asking? They do. So at the firefighter level, we, we allow the peers to design and draft their questions as to what they think is pertinent um, within the fire station and at their level in the organization. At the chief level, we also do that. We adjust the questions. Um, it's more about environment than it is the questions. Um, there was a book, and it, it may be out of print now, but it was called Thinking on Your Feet. That's by the author was Kenneth Widrow. And I used to give this book to people and say, read it. It was short, maybe 100 pages, just more of a pamphlet, really. But in there, he talked about you can be reactionary to a question or you can be proactive. You can answer the question, take them on a journey that explains your answer, and then answer the question and talk to the group. It's amazing how many candidates will only talk to the person that's asking the question and they will scan. They won't scan the room to, to talk to the group. They're interviewing with a group. And the fatal mistake is they'll look down at their at their score sheet to try to see if they can see how they're doing, <laughs> and and which is just a, it's a, you can't affect whatever they're writing. They should be looking at body language. Are people buying in? Yeah. Are they you know is their body language closed? Are they open? And are they interactive? And um, we used to do practice interviews, and I'd have people that would um, I'd catch doing that, so I'd just write something. And that would get their attention they'd literally stop in the middle of their answer and look up and I'd just be smiling at them going why are you looking at my sheet it, it serves no purpose it, let's interact but I do think it's changed with zoom and all that there is there's a generation or a group out there that is more comfortable by interviewing with zoom hmm. than they are in person and, and I just think that's technology again absolutely absolutely can, can I ask chief question yeah. if you don't mind so chief what You've been on both the uh, initial hiring panel and obviously at the chief level as well. What do you look? For, what do you think you're looking for um, at the chief level that was different than when you were on kind of the, the first round of oral boards? At first round of oral boards, we were looking to see if people were qualified and if they were a fit. Um, and, and I know the HR people don't like to hear the word fit, but it's a family and, and you need to know, are they a good, will they be a good teammate? You know, do, uh, do they want to be part of the team? I think when they come to the Chiefs interview, um, it changes. And I think people feel like they have something to lose. And I think that's probably the best advice I ever have given to people, is when you come into any sort of interview, you have nothing to lose. Um, no one has set an offer on the table and said, Dwight, if you don't blow it, you're going to get this job. Sure. And when they approach it from that aspect, I think it makes them nervous and it raises their stress level. Instead of coming in saying, they haven't offered me anything. So truly, I have absolutely nothing to lose. So let's interact. Uh, and, and the best thing that I like to see is them actually question us to see if we're a fit for them. 
So that's happening now because absolutely that's happening okay. now. In, in our interviews, that's that's we're, we're wanting. It's amazing the amount of time we'll go through the list of questions, whatever they are. We'll look for interaction at the end. We'll say, "Is there anything else you'd like to add?" That question is almost always there, right? There's an opportunity oh, at the end. And it's amazing. You give them 20 minutes, there's people that are out there, out of there in seven minutes, they're done. And it's like, how many months, years did you wait for this interview? And you had 20 minutes, you left 13 minutes on the table because your stress level was so high and you were so uncomfortable, you just wanted out of that seat. We opened the door and said, you've got 13 minutes to tell us anything that you think would be interesting, um, that would pique our interest and tell us that um, you're someone who's going to be here for a significant amount of time and because it, it's an investment we've looked at it and we're $25,000 plus just getting someone through the Academy that's incredible just investment of our money onto them and that's not salary onto them that's just investment the gear uh, and all the gear know. and, and okay. the time and the instructors and everything else that we're doing the insurance all that um, and so we want to be very careful when we're selecting these people we want to be uh, very careful to to make sure that um, we have confidence that they're going to make it through the training and that they're going to um, be um, a contributor to the organization you know a lot of people forget we're in the customer service business that bottom line that's what it really is there's training there's calls there's, but we're really in the service of, of uh, serving the community and it's funny how many candidates lose track of that when they come in to interview. Oh, absolutely. You, it's funny, just the word customer service, people don't always associate with the fire service unless you're in the fire service. Uh, I remember I, I was talking to my mom about the job, and I, and I talked about customer service. She's in the customer service industry, too, and she's like, I never would have thought um, that word would be associated with firefighting. And it's, but it's so true. Like we, Sure, we go fight fires, we run EMS calls, um, but sometimes we just go help people out. You know, it, in, and if you can do that when somebody's just having a bad day and you put a smile on their face, that's what customer service is all about. You mentioned nerves and some people come in and kind of overtakes them. So in your consulting with people, do you address that and what do you say? You know, I do and I don't. I think a lot, a big part of it is, is the less prepared you feel, the more nervous you're going to be. Um, as soon as they start asking questions and you feel confident in your answers, those, the nerves never go away completely. But when you feel confident in an answer and you, you know the answer you want to deliver and you know that you've got good supporting details, it, it really helps people to, to kind of calm down and, and just give their answer. I got really nervous too when I, when I first started interviewing and I still get nervous now. Um, like I said, it doesn't go away, but, but by helping people um, just build that confidence, it really seems to uh, decrease the level of nervousness for sure. And they... I, I think when someone asks that question that they haven't heard before, they feel a need to start talking immediately. And, and when you're the interviewer and you're watching this, you can see their mind racing and it's like they're trying to fill the dead air with something when it's actually better just for them to take a moment and go, hmm, let me think, compose their answer and then actually talk to you um, without the verbal pauses. I guess is the term that people use. Absolutely. Um, it, it helps. I, some of the best interviews that I've seen, people have actually walked in with a small pad. They may have four or five words on there. They're keys to things that they want to talk about. And then you can see them checking them off mentally as they're working their way down the list. Oh, this one fits into that 
this one fits into that. And, and it relaxes them and they can actually work through the interview. And then they really start to interact and you can see that they're prepared and, and they don't feel, because um, we try to make them as comfortable as possible. We know they're already nervous. So, and, and at times I've even recommended, give them the questions beforehand. Yeah, we've done that a couple and, of and times. And at the Chiefs level interview, a lot of times we do that. We'll give them 10 minutes and mm-hmm. here's, here's a clipboard with all the questions you're going to be asked. You can write on it, make your notes, do whatever you want to do, because we want the best answers and the most interaction right. that we can get. So you're right. We Earlier you said you have 15, 20 minutes to get to know them. Well, if we give them another 10 minutes, now we get their best answer. Right. Yeah, I, I really like that style, too. For, sorry to interrupt, but for the same reason Chief said, I struggled to pull those answers and, and really give you everything I wanted to say in an interview. Um, and I know a lot of people are going to walk out of that interview going, man, I wish I would have said this and wish I would have said that. And if we really want the best people um, for the job, then having all the information really only serves to benefit us. So I'm a huge fan of that that style. You had mentioned a fatal flaw that, that people make. What are some of the other ones that, just to let people know, you've seen it, don't do it? Not too long back, we had a person walk into the interview, and I was actually just um, facilitating. I wasn't actually on the panel, but this person proceeded to walk in and tell them that they were there to provide diversity um, because most fire departments were ran by old white guys. And... I can tell you that while there's some truth to that statement, it's probably not the best way of approaching it. Might not um, want to lead with that. Mix yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it in in the middle, but <laughs> yeah, especially when they didn't maybe provide as much diversity as they thought they did. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think that's a flaw. Not understanding chain of command. Um, years ago, when I was testing, a very good friend of mine who had a full career at a neighboring department. Um, at an interview process, he said, you know, he just struggled with authority. Um, and I guess that's not the worst answer, but he didn't follow it up with how he'd addressed it. What, what he'd done to actually um, help him understand the need for it and how he could work within it. And it left the interviewers with the idea that, well, why would we take him? He's just going to be a problem already. He's already told us he struggles with authority. That question gets brought up all the time. You know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And I tell people, um, you need to be able to self-identify weaknesses of yours because everybody has weaknesses. If you have a problem with authority, okay, that's that's one of your weaknesses. But you also need to be able to show the panel that not only have I identified it, but I've been taking these steps to get better at it. So I always say public speaking was uh, you know, a weakness of mine, but I've taken classes on it. I've joined you on the podcast podcast. a few times, (laughs) none of which I'm comfortable with. Um, And I'm by no means a good public speaker, as everybody who's listening to this can tell. Um, But I've gotten better. And so by by knowing, look, I have weaknesses, but I'm not going to let them get in my way. And if I identify a weakness, I'm going to get better at it. That really sets you apart in my mind than the person who either says, I have no weaknesses because I don't believe you again. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes they try to turn a strength into a weakness. Um, Another bad idea, in my opinion. You need to be self-aware enough to be able to know what your flaws are, but then you also need to be working on them too. And if you don't know, ask your friends or your family. They'll tell you. But don't don't it, ask your mom though, because she's just gonna she's it, gonna tell you you're perfect. Yeah, right. But it, I mean, to truly know, and I've actually told people that, like, if you really want to know what your challenges are, go talk to the people you spend the majority of your life with, and just have a very honest conversation, and they'll tell you how you're perceived, and then you have to be open to how what the perception is, so that you can adjust your 
your approach um, so that people understand um, what you're trying to get across or how and you can understand how you're being perceived it's I think that that's a huge part of it and, and I would tell people in, interview with your family you once you've done it once or twice you have some idea what the questions are just interview in front of them they'll freak you out oh yeah 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 they'll they'll they'll, they'll call you out quick my wife has several pages of weaknesses of mine that I can always relate <laughs> no, back to if I need one. to. We'll have more interview advice from fire medic Dwight Kilpack and Chief Troy Patterson after this short break. If you would like to learn more about working here at Adams County Fire Rescue, please go to our website, acfpd.org, and click on the Join the Team page on the right-hand side of the homepage. All you have to do is leave your email, and we'll contact you about the process to become a firefighter at ACFR. If you'd like to learn more about Dwight's coaching business and how to get a step ahead in the interview process, just go to his website, firefighterinterviewcoaching.com. There, you'll be able to get free tips and tactics for your upcoming interview and information about his one-on-one coaching sessions. Plus, that's where you can pick up Dwight's new downloadable workbook on how to succeed at that interview. That's firefighterinterviewcoaching.com. Now back to the fire line with public information officer Julie Brownman, fire medic Dwight Kilpack, and Chief Troy Patterson. Where from both of you guys do you concentrate on body language and how big of a deal is body language in interviews? It's huge. Um, I went through an interview process where I was participating and there was several chiefs in the room watching us in an auditorium type setting and one chief in particular who i've known for years um he didn't ask any questions he just really looked more like he was just an observer i couldn't quite figure out why he was in the room there's probably 10 of us it was a panel interview um the 10 10 uh, promotional candidates working together as a as a group um and he was just sitting there and several chiefs in the audience and i asked him later what what were you what was your role and he said, I was watching body language, strictly. He said, it's really interesting to watch what was going on above the table and below the table. And below the table, you could see all of our legs. And he said, you could make it like you were open, but if your legs were crossed, I knew you were really not open to what everybody else on the panel was talking about. And oh, he said, so it was kind of a game of liar's poker. Was he, right? was he scoring people too? Absolutely. Oh, was. wow. Okay. Absolutely. Solely on body language. hundred oh, percent. So wow. you'd have somebody and we're all sitting in, and I would turn my body to you and open my arms. I'm open to what you're saying, Dwight. But, you know, I'm receiving your message. But under the table, I got my legs crossed. Like, well, I'm, I'm trying to appear interesting. I'm going to uncross my but, legs right yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it does, it kind of makes you self-aware. It, it does, right? yeah. I didn't yeah, even I, realize yeah, I was doing it. I didn't it. realize I was, you know, you'll see people cross their arms. And like, mm-hmm. why are you being so defensive? Well, I didn't realize I was. Well, that's how you're appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually coached people, um, even online. And I've had times where I, I've asked them, are you? Are you interested in the story you're telling me? They might give a great story or a, you know an awesome example, but if they look bored, if they sound bored, I instantly don't believe them. Again, and now if you're excited about what you're telling me and you know your eyebrows are up and, and your voice, you can hear it in the, the inflection in your voice. I'm automatically, it's just human nature to be more excited with you um, right. versus if you're shut down, like Chief is saying, you're crossed, you're not, look, you're not engaging me, you're not looking at me. Um, it, it just completely it changes how you sound and it changes you know our perception of the answer i can give you a great example i just smiled at you and the first thing you did was smile back mm-hmm. right it's a natural yeah. reaction to smile it also as a candidate if you're watching the interview panel 
you're, you should be looking for body language from them as well. It should be a two-way communication. If they're nodding their head like you are now, you're, you're receiving my message, good sign. If you're sitting over there and you got your legs crossed and you're like rolling your eyes, like Dwight said, or you're like, you throw your pencil up in the air and you're like, come on, what are we doing? What time is lunch? You know, um, then so that body language is important for both people. It, instead of looking at the score sheet, look at the body language and see how the panel is reacting to you. Dave Carpenter used to tell me in interviews that he'd sit there and nod his head like you're talking about. And if, if he could make eye contact with people, he was sure he could get them to nod back. And as soon as he <laughs> not, they would nod back, he knew he had them, mm-hmm. uh, which I never could pull off in an interview. But I mean, even you're nodding right now, kind of mm-hmm. along That's with it. Yeah, it, it's just it's fascinating. Human nature is fascinating. But um, if you're nodding along with the with the answer, you're automatically more engaged in what they have to say. Should people that are interviewing try and win over the people that okay let's say there's five people and some are nodding and some are engaged and then there's a couple guys men or women that are sitting there and they are just maybe more stone-faced i don't i don't want to say you should try to win them over because you never under you never really know what they're thinking because in an interview i if i love your answer i'm i'm sitting there like this and if i hate your answer I'm sitting there looking at you like this. And I do that intentionally because I don't want to give anything extra away. Um, But that being said, we absolutely, it's human nature to score people that you like more. So almost always you're asked at the very beginning to tell us about yourself. Some people will come in and they'll tell us, you know, this is what I've done for school. This is what I've done for work. Um, I've got these certifications and any single candidate that walks in could have a similar resume. But if you come in and you tell me, hey, I've got a family. I've lived in Colorado my whole life. I love the outdoors. I like hunting. I used to wrestle. Now I'm starting to connect with you because I like the outdoors. Uh, I currently do some jujitsu and wrestling. And so we've we formed a bond. And, And so human nature there is just to score those people better. If I'm in, in between a six and a seven on a score, it, it might not be something I'm trying to do, but if I like that person, I'm going to drift towards a higher score. So, um, you win them over, you know, by connecting with them for sure. And it is an important part. I think it's, um, what I look for, honestly, is I look for potential. I, and I, you're exactly right. If someone starts out the interview and, and they're telling you about their schooling and their certifications and all this, but later in the interview they tell you family values and all this, but wait a minute, when I first ask you who you are and what have you done, you didn't mention your family at all. Now you're bringing them in someplace else. Um, for me personally, that's, everything starts with my family and then goes forward from there. So why did, why did you leave that out earlier? Absolutely. Um, but then I'm looking at, I'm looking at your resume, likely, and it's funny how many people don't refer to their resume as they're doing the interview. And I can tell usually the people who haven't even prepared their own resume, they had somebody else do it because they don't even know what's on it or, or they just totally left it out. Um, but I, I'm looking for potential. Who are they today? But who could they be a year, two, three years down the road? What, where's their grow? Are they as far as they're going to get? Or do they have potential to grow? And are they hungry to want to grow? You can see that a lot in their resume, too, because, um, you know, anybody, if you ask them what their five and 10 year goals are, everybody's going to have goals prepared or should have goals prepared. Um, but if you can see that they've taken classes and they've they've done this stuff that's not required because they just want to be better, that to me, that speaks a lot about who somebody is rather than the person who did the minimum requirements because they knew those were going to be required to get a job. How honest should people be in this interview? Like you had mentioned, some people maybe had was a little too honest, but you want to be yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
to an extent, right? You, you still yeah. want to put your best foot forward, but we expect you to not be perfect. That's what I tell people all the time. If you, some of the best examples people can give are times that they didn't do something well. If you if you can tell me about a time you screwed something up, but you learned from it, to me that's almost more powerful than the time that you did something right and it had a great impact. Um, so yeah, you want to be yourself in the, the panel expects you to have flaws. Nobody expects you to be, you know, the top person in, in uh, the per- most perfect firefighter coming in here, but they expect you to be able to learn and grow and, and push yourself, um, be self-aware, all those things. I, 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 yeah, I agree completely with what Dwight's saying. And I would add on, you're starting a relationship. It's kind of like going on that first date where you're starting to get to know each other a little bit. But you're going to be accountable for that first interview for the rest of that relationship. And so you you have to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. If there's something on your resume or in your packet that you know is going to be the 800-pound elephant that's going to be in the room, instead of being reactionary, it's to your benefit to be proactive and, and, and bring it up before it gets brought up. Because then you're not reacting to them bringing it up. You're actually bringing it forward, which shows, huh. This person's self-aware. They they understand how this is going to be perceived, and they want to talk about it. They want to talk about it now before we get deeper into the interview. I think that sets it up as someone like, you know what? I can trust this person. I mean, Dwight and me worked together for several years. I, I know I can trust him. He's going to – he may tell me something I really don't want to hear, but he knows I need to hear it, and he's going to tell me that. That's huge in this business. You have to be able to trust your teammates. It just has to be. These guys are going to find out, too. If there's something in your background, they're, they're going to dig. They're going to talk to people. They're going to talk to your friends. Sometimes they talk to ex-girlfriends, which scared the heck out of me. Um, but They but talk to your ex? Some, sometimes, I've had people call girlfriends from 10 years ago uh, when I was applying for jobs. They're gonna. My point is they're going to find it out. And so you want to. You really want to be in charge of how that gets presented. Lawyers do this all the time in the courtroom. If something's going to come up that they that the jury's going to hear um that's detrimental to their case they want to be able to present it first that way they can kind of put their own spin on it it's the same kind of thing here if you've had a a blemish in your past which everybody has bring it up explain what you've learned from it explain how it's never going to happen again and how you've grown And, and that completely changes the tone of the conversation can you take us behind the curtain when the at the end of the day or when the the person walks out there's say five people on this panel what happens do you guys talk about your score or how does that go down so at the chief level um each candidate comes through the all the panelists score them and then we collect all their score sheets and, and we stack and we we rank them on our score sheet um as a facilitator and then we, we let time go on towards the end of the day at the end of the 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 last interview they'll take a 10 or 15 minute break just to decompress then they'll come back in and they'll start to talk about the candidates and and we'll look at the scores and see do the scores really reflect how they felt about the candidate and what you'll find is dwight may be a a middle score and by that i mean most of his scores are between four and six he may every now and then throw out a seven Um, i may be a high scorer and my scores go from six to nine and would be you know someone's just outstanding as long as those scores for all Dwight's scores stay within that realm that's a good sign and and that's what as a facilitator I'm looking for patterns if there's an outlier if, if he's scoring fours fives and sixes and he, all of a sudden he gives somebody a 10 
I need to look at that and go, wait a minute, what did this candidate do or say that took him outside of his normal scoring range? Why, why was that? And so um, you look for those anomalies, you pull up the scores, you, you start to look at how everyone um, scored, but uh, we don't want people influencing um, each other's scores, but what we do encourage them to do is to talk because as you're writing, you sometimes miss things that are said. Absolutely. And so we want to clarify what did the, and they'll do that after each candidate. There's a 10 minute period. So you get 20 minutes, top of the hour, it's 10 20. Now the interview's done. We got 10 minutes to decompress. Did you hear the, how did, how was that said? And then they'll make their scores and then turn their sheets in. We'll move on to the next candidate. Yep. That, that's, it's a, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you this question. If you could, Dwight, redesign, I don't know if you'd ever want to do this, the Chiefs interview. The Chiefs I, specifically or, yeah. or the whole interview process? Uh, we can do both. If you, I mean, if you have ideas about. Yeah, I've given that a lot of thought. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, something might not be good. But unless you can actually, you know, have a solution, um, your your complaint really means nothing. Uh, I've, I've thought about it long and hard. You know, I think the best thing would be to get these people to come to work for six months and then choose the top candidates because that's probably how long it's going to take to really figure out who the best of the best is uh, outside of doing that. And we used to do that with like a reserve program and stuff like that where you could actually work with the people and, and see if they were as hardworking as they said they would and if they really lived up to all the the, the hype that they put up into their interview. Outside of that, it's so hard to do because the, these jobs are so competitive. It's not uncommon to have over 100 people testing for a couple of positions. And so to put everybody on the same playing field, it, if there's a better way to do it, I, I really don't know what it is. I, there's definitely flaws in the system, but outside of being able to get everybody online um, or put them all through an academy and then choose who the best is, it's, it's really not feasible. We've, we've interviewed in different environments. And one of the best interviews um, that I think we've ever done was actually done in the kitchen at the training center. Oh, and really? we, we just sat at the kitchen table, and oh, we just yeah. invited candidates to come in and sit in the kitchen and, and just sit there and talk. It was amazing how different that was from how it is when you're in a formal room with a formal table, and there's a barrier, right? We're on this side of the table. You're on that side of the table. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it really comes across as um, us against you and and let's see how you hold up and i don't think you get the best interview but unfortunately this job is stressful and we do need stress is part stress management i think is a big part of the process how can you handle the stress um you know we we bring people in from other organizations um and they'll say some of the calls that you folks run um, I never saw anything like this before. And this has been over 20 some years. I've heard this from other firefighters that come in. I've never seen the kind of calls, the shootings, whatever it is um, that's going on. And it's at a different level. So I, I think that stress is a good thing and it's good to evaluate. Are they just going to lock up on you? They're your partner and you're counting on them in that time of need. And so this is an interview and it's important. Sure. But um, and, and when someone's life's on the line, how are they going to react? And I think it's really important. I think that's a great point because, yep, it's stressful. Um, and I'm sorry, like you're going to do this job. It's going to, there's going to be times when things are stressful, but you've got to be able to take that stress, internalize it, and then still put a good product out. The same thing on the fire ground. Um, you know, 
people could be jumping out of windows, you know, somebody could be dying. It's the nature of our job and you've got to be able to put that stress aside and still do your job in a cool, calm manner. Um, everybody always relates it back to a duck on water. Uh, you see a duck there, it looks super calm, but underneath the surface, those feet are just kicking and they're kicking a hundred miles an hour. And, and that's a fine way to think about it because yeah, you're going to be stressed on the inside, but on the outside, you need to be cool and calm. And, and same thing in the interview. If you look stressed, going back to the body language thing, it, it just puts a negative connotation on the whole interview. And it is a family. I mean, when you live with people 33% of the time and it's the consistent crew, there's dynamics that take place within that crew. And so you also have to be able to function within a group. And you can get someone that they can deal with the stress, uh, but they really struggle with the interpersonal of, of just actually living with someone. You spend the majority of your time living with them. Third of your life. Yes, exactly. And you get to know their families. They get to know you. That's one of the hidden benefits of this job. You really do expand your family because you get to know them. Um, and that's, I think, why we're so diligent in, in the background checks that Dwight talked about earlier and how deep we look. We're probably one of the few departments that still send people for psychological evaluations because we want to know, are they okay? Um, mm -hmm. We know that this job is going to take an effect over time, but we want to know at least coming in that they're okay. Right. And then we have mental health that we offer throughout, you know, to help people deal with the things that they see and they do. Um, and it's highly rewarding. But I think you have to do your due diligence because, again, from a chief level, um, you, there's such a resource that you're putting into the, their development that you want to make sure that you're getting the right people. I think we do a good job of it, too, because there's an old saying that, you know, I, I could leave five thousand dollars on the the kitchen table at the firehouse and three weeks later i'd expect every dime to be there now i wouldn't leave leftovers in the fridge overnight and exactly. expect that to be there <laughs> ever but it, it it's funny how you know I, I wouldn't i'd leave my wallet on the counter without ever giving it a second thought because these people are truly brothers and sisters they, we are a family in almost every sense of the word it's a, it's a unless you've lived it you, you just don't really know I actually, as a, an officer, I had a petty cash, and it was interesting to me because a lot of the officers would lock it up. They'd have like a little cash drawer, and they'd have the little key, and I'd sit mine in a coffee can and sit it in the closet where the food stuff was, and I could go there to Dwight's point. There was usually more than $100 in there. Every now and then there might be an IOU. Now, missing food on a regular basis, sure. But <laughs> I, even, I even know that. The, the, the true trustworthy stuff. And there's been times that I was at work and something would happen and my wife would need help. Maybe she had a flat tire. And somebody's like, you know what? That's not too far from my house. Let me just run up there and change the tire for her, get her back on the road. Those are the things, even though there may be personal dynamics and you may squabble in the house or whatever, um, people have each other's back. And that's the beauty of the job. That's very unique to this industry. Police probably have the same thing. Absolutely. Uh, and outside of that, maybe some EMS, but beyond that, probably military. Every, you know, something goes wrong in your life, and everyone's always like, let me know what I can do to help. People, your crew, they're going to show up. They're the kind of people who are going to help whether you actually ask for it or not. I've talked to you guys about, like, and you say, like, okay, who can I call with a shovel at 3 in the morning? Those are the people mm -hmm. that are going to be there. As we wrap this up, a couple questions for you guys. Have you ever had somebody where you thought just killed in the interview, thought they were going to be great, and then they get to be a firefighter and you're like, wow, did we not see that coming? Does that not, does that happen? 
No, I, I, I can honestly great. tell you that I, I don't believe so. Again, um, we look for potential, so you truly never know. Um, promotional is probably more along the lines of what you're talking about. Um, they've acted in the position, and you can see them in the position, but actually once they get there, how are they going to be? That's the true unknown. But I think for new hires, my experience has been, usually if you've vetted them, um, and you've interviewed them, and you've asked the tough questions, and, and sometimes that's what really needs to happen. Okay, that was a great interview. Thanks for the canned answers. Now, can we really have a conversation? I really want, you got 13 minutes left, and I really want to get to know you. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Because as it stands, we're not hiring you. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going well. So as we wrap up the podcast, from each of your perspective, can you maybe talk about things that we didn't hit on that you think candidates should know when they go into these interviews? You know, I think the biggest thing is just understanding. You need to understand how it works. You need to understand the process. And you need to do that before you come into your first interview. Because a lot of times the people who score well are people who have interviewed multiple times before and they've started to learn the process. So if you're going into your first interview, you need to do some research. I, I just wrote a whole book on the subject. You need to do your research on how the, you know, how the scoring works, what kind of questions they're going to ask you. Because the questions... Although they kind of change, the themes are all really the same. And then you, and you need to practice and you need to you know, write down awesome stories from your life. Um, and then, and then uh, once you, you kind of have that dialed in, then you're, you're going to present yourself a lot better. And you might be the best candidate the first interview you ever do. But if you're not prepared for the style of interview that the firefighters get, you're just not going to score well. Um, my thought would be the interview starts the day that you turn in your application. And if your application, if, if you can't follow directions, you've already got one strike against you. Um, usually invitation letters are written very specifically. And even if they don't say it, if they list an order, that's the order they want the application packet to be in. And they want it to be right. And they want when you're going through several hundred of them, um, you start to notice that people pay attention to direction and have organizational skills. It's huge. And it helps you work through it. The other thing that I think is the interview also starts day one that you step foot on the property into the firehouse. What we do for a living is we size up things. We're trained to size up everything, right? Medical call, fire, rescue, you name it. We size things up. And we size up each other and people we don't know. We sure enough size up. So the interview process starts day one you're likely to see someone that you met on your visit to the fire station on an interview panel or somewhere along the way familiarity is a good thing it helps people understand who you are and and you recognize them so it lowers your stress level a little bit and the other thing because we've talked about doing your homework and understanding the organization follow-up and I can tell you that chief level officers are very hesitant to give too much information for follow-up because the HR people drives them nuts. They don't want you telling them too much. But you can speak in generalities. And I always encourage people, go back and talk to the panelists in the firehouse, where it's not all of them, and they're just going to give you the general, what well, the best candidate would look like this. This is what we're looking for. To, to Chief's point about your interview starts the second you make contact, I, we've sent out... I had somebody reach out for some information on our department and I sent them uh, an email with a bunch of attachments that explained how our hiring process worked, um, what our minimum requirements are. And the next email I got back from the person said, um, oh, cool. So what, what do I have to have and what certifications do I have to have to apply? And 
well that you know it's not the end all be all but at the same time it made me think twice like okay this person didn't even bother to read what i sent them um so yeah every single time you make contact be thinking about what you're doing take an extra five minutes to read the emails thoroughly take an extra uh, you know two seconds to think about what you do and and what you wear before you walk onto the property so there's so much truth in that i guess the last thing that i would end with is um we're, we know that we need to work harder on recruiting uh, to improve diversity within the organization. We recognize that. And we also want um, an insight into who they are. And so we're looking at a mentoring program. We also have recruitment going out to local colleges, high schools, um, technical schools, things of that nature, and, and getting the word out for people to come in and, and get to know us. And let's find out if it's a good fit. Um, you invest your time, it's a good investment. It doesn't mean you're a volunteer or a cadet, but it just does mean that you're familiar. You're, you're around and people see an interest. If I go to visit uh, Dwight and his fire station, maybe I want to go to a different shift at a different station and get their perspective. It could be a little bit different. Um, but spending that time um, preparing beforehand brings so much value to what's going on um, when you get to those interviews, you feel so Absolutely. much so much more comfortable. And you can start the process. If you're interested in working here at Adams County Fire, just go to our website, acfpd.org, go to join the team, put in your email, and you'll actually get something from Yeah, there's a, there's a link on there, or a little box. If you just drop me your email, it's all you got to do. Um, click send. I'll send you some information. Um, it'll have... You know, what we call the roadmap to getting hired um, and then the minimum requirements and then you're welcome to reach out to me if you want for a ride along or a station visit um, we're happy to set any of those up because like chief said we we want the interaction it gives us more opportunity to talk to you um, and so we can yeah thank you for joining us because i don't think this information is readily available if you're not that type of person that is going to go out so hopefully this gets people thinking from both perspectives from a, a firefighter and a chief so i think it was a thanks for um, having us yeah. yeah you're welcome would you do another enjoyable. one sure you uh, i was actually going to recommend maybe down the road you think about doing something about promotional processes because okay. i think it, it's the same thing people don't really um, understand they have their perception of what it is to be successful but we're fortunate a lot of fire departments share resources so we get to participate in other departments promotional processes to see how they're doing things and we bring it back and forth but i think there were some interesting things we could talk about that would get people's attention i think it's a great idea okay your book i'll you guys <laughs> later thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the firelight thank you medic 11 engine 11 You've been listening to The Firelight. A podcast by Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Update. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Roger, we've ordered two more rescues for you. And check out our webpage, acfpd.org, for more on the services we offer, fire prevention information, and how to become a firefighter at Adams County Fire Rescue. Medic 11. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.